0: Welcome to the UC Architects. This is episode 23, recorded June 2nd, 2013. I'm your host, Pat Richard, and today I'm joined with Link MVP Tim Harrington, Exchange MVP Johan Veldes, Exchange MCM John Cook, and today we have special guest Chris Cook to talk about his awesome script. Hey. So, <laughs> so hello, guys, and we'll start with Tim. What are you up to these days, Tim?
1: Uh, Lately these days, I've just been uh, traveling the world and spreading the the Link love. We've (laughs) we've been uh, very fortunate, and it's probably true with everybody, getting a big influx of Link-type projects. Um, And what's nice is that they're all 2013-based, and and I would say probably 90% of them are enterprise voice as well. So my primary job for the last several months has been uh working on proposals designs and meeting with with companies about uh about their link needs so it's been it's been really fun the last couple months for myself
0: awesome yeah we're seeing that too lots of yeah. uh potential uh, coming up now so uh, johan our uh, our exchange guy what's happening
2: well i'm busy with uh Migrating a lot of mailboxes to to new uh, databases, so uh, yeah, it is an ongoing project. Um, we're starting at the U.S. data center now, so we will move uh, 45,000 uh, mailboxes in the coming uh, well two to three months, I think, maybe shorter. Depends on how how fast it will go. Uh, besides that. Uh, fixing some issues in the, uh, in the phone app of the UC Architects, which a new uh, version has been released uh, this week, which fixes uh, almost every issue, a small one, not. And, um, yeah, busy with, uh, with some link things, implementing uh, watcher notes to better monitor the environment and tweaking some things to, uh, yeah, yeah. to make the link environment uh, better working for the customer.
0: Excellent. So, uh, new move request, and then what? Go shopping for a while till they finish. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no. Um, we've got a a guy in our team who is uh, pretty uh, keen on PowerShell, and he's pretty good in it. So we've got a bunch of scripts. Well, I, I can ex- explain it shortly. First, we make an inventory. What's the current status of the of the user? If he has a uh, active sync devices, if he has active sync devices, how many? If he has a BlackBerry device, uh, how big his mailbox is, etc. And then we uh, run a calculation to optimize the uh, target database. So the target database the load on the target database we will be almost equal. Um, yeah, then indeed a script uh, kicks in, which uh, performs the uh, migrations and. It will will trigger the uh, migrations since it's a production environment. Um during that script, uh, another script is running which checks if the log volumes are okay, and if not, it will kick in a backup automatically and that kind of stuff. So it will, it, it is pretty much automated. But yeah, we we'll, we will need to monitor the environment because it's uh, it's production and we we can't have uh, any downtime.
0: Right. And as you mentioned, uh, update to the uh, UC Architects uh, Windows Phone app. So you're you're the guy that's put in all the hard work behind that. And yeah. yeah. We, we certainly appreciate that. I've been playing around with myself, and uh, a perfect opportunity. I'll be uh, f- on a flight tomorrow, so I'll mm-hmm. I'll be able to listen to something. So I just not work.
2: So yeah.
3: And John, what's happening with you? Uh, i working a lot on some link stuff, Um, uh, talking about, we're going to talk a little bit later about something I discovered this week, a nasty little bug, Um, but uh, it's pretty much working and uh, working and (laughs) working some more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that bug here in a minute. And our special guest today, uh, Chris Cook, a a consultant from Avanade. Uh, Chris, this is your first time on, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
4: Um, well, I'm a Link architect uh, with uh, Avanade Advantage Services, um, kind of a little subsection there of Avanade. Um, do a lot of uh, Link, really kind of specialize in the voice side of the house. Um, come from a voice background and uh, been pretty busy lately, um, but really passionate about scripting. So got uh, a couple of scripts out there now and uh, some more stuff in the works. Hopefully, you'll be able to get it out soon and. Let's see where
0: it goes. Excellent, and uh, I'm a big fan of your uh, of your script that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. So, uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to mm-hmm. seeing what else you come out with too. And uh, heading into uh, the, the big event uh, happening uh, as we speak, uh, TechEd North America. We've got uh, some guys, Justin and uh, uh, Michelle Deroy, and Dave Stork, uh, are all down there uh, this week. And uh, if you get a chance, check out uh, Justin's session. Uh, I'm sure he'll be glad to see you. And uh, say hi to the guys if you see them in the black uh, UC Architects T-shirts. And they have announced that uh, uh, TechEd North America 2014 will be held uh, May 12th through the 14th in Houston. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, go to that. TechEd is a lot of fun, so not just for the drinking. And you
3: and you can take notes on your uh, 399 Surface too.
0: That's right. They <laughs> They're didn't bring anything down there. 399 for a Surface Pro and 99 bucks for a Surface RT. And uh, just before we started the recording here, I was looking at uh, a bunch of people tweeting pictures of the line for people to get those things. And uh, uh, as, as Jeff Guillet, the uh, the exchange uh, MCM said, the line stretches to Tuesday uh, because. <laughs> Everybody was trying to take advantage of that, and I know uh, some people were asking friends who were attending uh, TechEd to, you know, pick one up for them. And and
3: uh, well, so I was going to put it on Twitter, like, hey, anyone that, that doesn't want to do it, you know, I'll give you an extra few, couple hundred bucks. I still, you know, even for five ninety nine, I take a pro another one. Yeah, you and I
0: both have pros, and we paid quite a bit more than that. Yeah, it, hell so. yeah. Well, I yeah.
3: mean, you assume that some people are going to like resell them, and I wish they, you know, they probably shouldn't do. But um, I don't know, actually. Maybe there is some um, you know, clause that they're making them sign. I don't know, but. But uh, that is a hell of a deal. I would certainly take advantage, and I already have Pro. I buy a RT for $90, you know, without even thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping they, they start extending that kind of offer to other events as well. It would be nice uh, just to get the surface more out there and about. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm wondering if they're doing these at kind of a low rate because they have, you know, uh, Surface 2.0 coming out pretty soon. Well, there was trying some, to kill uh, some, inventory. Yeah, some
3: people were kind of mentioning that, like, you know, maybe this was a way to dump, but I mean, and really, how much, I mean, only, there's only, what, 2,000 people at TechEd, 3,000? I mean, everyone bought one. It's not going to make a huge dent in inventory. No, there's, there, there's
0: going to be a lot more than that at TechEd, but, um, so? oh, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and even if they are dumping them for, uh, to clear some inventory, I've got both the RT and the Pro, and I think, John, you have both as well, right? No, I sold and, my RT when I got my Pro. Okay, but,
3: uh,
0: I, I've been I've been pretty happy with with both of them, and uh, I I cart both of them to customer uh, customer sites and show them what the experience is from a link perspective, uh, on the two devices, uh, and it, and it's worked real well. And, Of course, it's it's the perfect uh, TV companion too. So.
3: Yeah, I mean I can't. We talked about the pro. I, I love my pro. I mean obviously I wish I had better battery life, but uh, but I mean I'm using it like as, we, as, we, as we, literally I'm, I'm recording on it right now. I uh, hooked up to my new monitor at uh, 2560 or whatever by 1080 resolution on my second monitor, which is totally awesome, by the way. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's a great desktop, so uh, that's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, very cool. And heading into our topics, uh, number one, Johan, Exchange 2010 Service Pack 3 Update Rollup 1 was introduced. So what's happening
2: with that? Yeah, well, it's uh, the first roll-up, as the number says, uh, for uh, Service Pack 3 for Exchange 2010. And, yeah there's one in one important bug which is still uh, fixed which is uh, the soft uh, delete bug they introduced with uh, sp3 and rollup 6 for sp2 uh, so that has been fixed now um, while well, looking at the rest of the fixing list there's there's one um, strange thing on it well maybe it's not strange but they say there's a fix for the rapid growth uh, transaction locks. Uh, when the CPU usage and memory consumption in Exchange Server 2010, when uh, uh, a device is syncing uh, with your mailbox, such as the iOS uh, 6.1 or 6.11 based devices, so I don't personally don't think it was only Apple's fault, but there may be some other issues which they fixed uh, using this rollup. But yeah, the the uh, NOS based article doesn't give you deep de- deep details uh, on what is fixed, so that it will stay grey area. Uh, besides that, they have fixed the issue about the BlackBerry uh, email message delivery, which uh, was delayed uh, after Rollup 4 for Exchange Server 2010 SP2 and later. So that has been fixed also. I'll, yeah, while looking at the rest of the list, yeah, there are some some issues. Uh, for for crashes of uh, specific processes, but I haven't seen those those issues uh, in my customer uh, environments. John, did you see them with your customers or um, not so
3: much? Um, I think I don't know if I've, I've come across it honestly. Yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah, a lot of fixes, uh, other uh, a few interesting ones. So please verify it in your uh, test environment before applying it uh, to your production environment. Test
0: environment? Hope... What's that?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sprite>. Some, pe- <laughs> so, yeah, some yeah. people don't have it. we will put it directly in production. But <clears throat> since we know a bit of the history of the rollups, uh, uh, especially the last uh, few roll-ups, yeah, please verify it in the test environment b- before applying it uh, to production. And back
0: up your production environment before you install it.
2: Uh, yeah. Also, that one is a uh, very good... Uh, Backups? <laughs> what a concept. What are
0: those. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, aren't, you,
2: aren't you using Exchange native data protection for your back? <laughs> of course I am.
0: <laughs> and uh, speaking of Exchange 2010, uh, Microsoft also updated the, uh, the mailbox role calculator. And uh, what's going on with that?
2: Yeah, not not really much. There's only one thing in the release, release notes, and it's that they fixed uh a formula which, in some cases, uh, gave a bad result or even reported a strange, uh, strange thing, and they fixed it. And that's the only thing that they say is fixed in the release notes. So, not, not much sure about it. Uh,
0: yeah, that was a, a memory calculation for uh, yeah. dealing with uh, site resilient stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, only because and the uh, and the hub transport memory calculation formula. So.
0: Okay, and we'll we'll have uh, links to both of those uh, on the summary site for the for this episode. And uh, not too much for Exchange this time. So tons of stuff for Link, and we'll uh, we'll start off with Tim. Uh, Microsoft released the the Link Network Guide, and you've had a chance to kind of skim through it. What'd you think about it?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a great. It's it's pretty much a must read. It's it's uh as you know when deploying voice, uh, any any voice deployment with Link is going to rely heavily on the network. It's basically going to be uh, your success factor, whether your project succeeds or fails is probably going to rely on the network. So this guide is pretty comprehensive white paper around planning, implementation, and monitoring of link in regards to the network. Um, mm-hmm. it, the, you know, the planning talks about you know, what questions to ask the networking team and modeling personas, bandwidth estimates... Uh, different tools for traffic simulation and analyzing those results, interpreting, interpreting those results. Um, it also talks a lot about the utilizing the uh, previously released bandwidth calculator for LINK. So, again, some, some good planning notes around LINK. And then as far as implementation goes, uh, in the next section it talks about how to configure QoS and CAC and doing port restrictions uh, around media traffic. It also goes into uh, Wi-Fi scenarios, and there's a another white paper that also addresses uh, specifically deploying link uh, in Wi-Fi type environments as well. Um, and then kind of the third section of the guide is, is troubleshooting. And I know Microsoft spends a lot of time on their own monitoring server and reports, but this actually goes a little deeper than that and talks about, Several environmental factors that affect uh, quality, third-party monitoring tools and solutions. Uh, so again, it's it's a great, great um, guide. It's not going to have all your answers, but it does provide a very good framework for thinking about the network, uh, implementing link uh, over the network, um, and hopefully succeeding a little bit better than just installing and going uh, with Link Voice
0: from from a Wi-Fi perspective does it touch on just commercial Wi-Fi does it touch on um, you know uh, residential Wi-Fi at
1: all well I think you have to go back and refer to the specific white paper around yeah, installing Wi-Fi. Lincoln Wi-Fi because it does that specific white paper does go into commercial aps it goes into uh, home aps uh, you know consumer aps and different settings that you want in your yeah. In your a piece. So, and your AP. And
3: recommendations is one of the things, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you definitely want to use uh, this guide in conjunction with, with the specific white papers around the different pieces. In, again, in, 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 okay, it's okay. Yeah, I, I was going to say, again, this is this is more of a framework. Type. To me, I see it as a framework uh, to kind of get you going in the right direction, then it refers you to the different tools that you can use uh, for the different pieces
3: of the puzzle. Yeah, I was going to say there was a couple of good uh, sessions on that that um, uh, I think we probably talked about it before at the uh, Link conference. And if you can still get the download, uh, Cornel Bowen's presentation on Link and Wi Fi was really good. Um, we kind of talked a lot about those those challenges. And it's important, I man, really, it, it's it's good of them to have that paper out because, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest challenges right now. And one of the, you know, when you ask clients, you know, the, the, the perceived quality of Link. And when you you know when you hear you know it, when they, they fill in the it sucks checkbox, then you're like, well, were we on Wi-Fi? And what was that Wi-Fi? And where were you? And you know, wireless is the challenge right now because everyone wants to be mo- you know completely mobile and untethered, and and you know the the, the experience on a, on a link call is directly proportional to how good your wireless connection is, right? So uh,
0: especially especially um, you know residential yeah, Wi-Fi where you've got you know tele workers and saying that Link's not working and, you know, come to find out they've got some, you know, 999 access point at home.
1: Yeah, I guess guess the biggest takeaway from this guide is say don't go install Link Voice uh, in an enterprise without thinking about the network, without working with the networking team and putting in proper tools and and, uh, tweaking the network uh, to accept Link. I mean, you wouldn't install any voice over IP or video conferencing uh, solution without thinking about the network, and Link is no different, even though it's, you feel like Link is so easy to overlay and start using, uh, and it is, but to get the right quality and to get the right experience, you really got to think about the network.
0: Absolutely. And uh, next up on the list, um, and we, we talked about this in Episode 22, the previous episode is around uh, a coming change for those organizations that federate with Microsoft.com. Um, on June 8th, they will be making a change to the certificates on the Microsoft.com uh, Link edge servers. And uh, if you have federation set up with Microsoft.com, you do want to take a couple minutes and make sure that you're prepared for this coming change. And essentially, uh, they're switching f- uh, to a Baltimore root certificate, from a GTE Cybertrust certificate. And if you've installed the latest updates on your edge servers, then you're probably fine, uh, but you do want to take a couple minutes to go through and and verify that you're not going to be impacted negativ- negatively uh, mm-hmm. by this coming change. So um, there's, there's a pretty good article on Next Top that uh, deals with uh, the details, and uh, we'll get a link out to that.
3: Yeah, and along those lines, um, I noticed that digital. You know, people are, I'm sure we talked about it, but the, the certificate utility. And it was updated recently, I'm not sure when that was, but now there's actually an option to verify whether you have automatic chain uh, downloading on or off, which is kind of cool because otherwise, you know, it's a registry, I think, right, or a policy, I forget. Um, and, you know, if if uh, you want to verify that you have that on or off depending on your needs, then uh, it's handy to use that tool to do it because I didn't notice that they changed that and I re-downloaded it. I'm like, hey, it's a cool little button.
0: <laughs> and they've got they've got some pretty good information about why you want root updates disabled. And and the problem with the utility is the way that it's worded, and it's confusing because you're enabling or disabling the disablement of root cert updates. So if you check the enable box, then root cert updates are disabled, and vice versa. So it's it's somewhat confusing, but uh, yeah, good a good uh, utility to check out what's going on there. And uh, John, while we got you, let's
3: talk about Blackberries. You're a big fan of Blackberries, right now. Oh, yeah, that's a company in... Where are they going? I forgot. Canada or something? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, they've had their troubles and and uh, their new OS is out and new devices are out and they're getting, you know, some traction. I'm not sure. I don't think they're selling particularly well. But um, one of the things to, to rationalize is that, you know, companies, especially enterprises, still use BlackBerry, uh, probably quite a quite a bit more than, you know, maybe you'd argue that they should be. But um, And uh, the... Link Client, the Enterprise IM Client um, 2.0 was, you know, very basic. Um, so they just released the 3.0 client, um, which adds a decent amount more features. It's still not as fully functional as the Link Client for other other, other uh, platforms. But um, some of the key things are that uh, it requires BES 10.1 from uh, the documentation, and um, the 2.6 client is only available on um, OS uh, the BlackBerry OS 7, and the, you need the new BlackBerry OS 10 to run the the, the new 3.0 client. Um, but uh, we can put a link. Uh, we have a link uh, to some more information um, um, on basically all the requirements. But uh, um, you know, basic I am in presence, ability to change your, your state is available. Um, uh, from the looks of the client, it's you know more stylized, especially at the 3.0 client for uh, OS, uh, BlackBerry OS 10. Um, so uh, you know, it's something you definitely want to check out if you're uh, running BlackBerry in your environment and you want you know some least basic uh, link connectivity. It says it has the option for voice. I'm not sure. You know what mechanism it's using for that. If it's just PSTN dial out like we had with the make 2010 clients, or or something more fully functional, I honestly don't know uh, enough about it because I haven't had a chance to run it yet. But uh, definitely, if you're running a BlackBerry environment, you should check that out and put the link and uh, and uh, see how it goes.
1: Have the uh, have the exchange Gas seen much uptake on uh, BlackBerry upgrades up to the new version? Well,
3: no. It's I mean, in terms of uh, Bez, in, BEZ in 2013 yeah you know, it's it's We're complicated. Just, <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> All right.
0: we've uh, we actually did a uh, a force migration uh, for an organization at the tail end of last year. And um, in their legacy environment, they had I think ten thousand Blackberry devices, and uh, in their their new environment, they got rid of every one of them. And gave everybody a Windows Phone, and uh, that's the biggest one I've seen to date where people dumped BlackBerry. I mean, we—I've heard of all these companies that are kind of getting rid of them, but that's the biggest one I've, the biggest purge I've seen. But we're not seeing any uptick. We're seeing a lot of people getting rid of them, especially the whole you know BYOD uh, philosophy. Whether whether you like it or not, it is what it is, and and people are starting to shy away from you know the corporate. Uh, blackberry device more towards something that the end users are a little happier to use
3: yeah I mean it's, it is what it is uh, it's, it, it, you know the 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 marketplace is changing and the ability just to get email is certainly a core feature but it's all the other stuff and if I want if I'm a corporation and I want to deploy some custom app for my employees or use you know an expense management thing like like concur or something like that you know uh, none of the are any of those available on that platform anymore and how easy is it me to, to develop that platform or, or or am I going to you know um, do you want to give out devices to your customers any, or to your employees anymore and control them? I mean, some companies do, and and things like BlackBerry make sense in those lines, but if you're, you know, kind of have a company is like, I don't want to manage mobile devices anymore, really, you know, you bring yours, here's the policy, here's the standard, Exchange can do that, you know, 80% of that natively, good enough, you know?
0: Well, and, and we're, we're seeing a, a big uptick in the other devices. Um, you know, if, if you believe some of the recent reports, Windows Phone now outnumbers BlackBerry, and and I tend to believe that. And you know, people I think are more inclined to develop apps on some of these other platforms uh, because of the the much broader audience uh, that that's out there. And so I, I I'm to be honest, I'm still surprised BlackBerry is still around. Um, I, I think their days are numbered, but but we'll see. Next up is uh, uh, Chris Cook's scripts. Um, sometime late last year, uh, Tim introduced me to, to Chris and said that Chris was working on some really cool scripts and and would I be interested in testing them out. And I'd, i got to tell you, this takes a lot of work uh, out of my hands and puts it into some automated scripts, and for that I am ever so grateful. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us about what you've been working on lately?
4: Sure. Uh, so the biggest one is the uh, link environment documentation script. So um, kind of started uh, a couple of years ago sitting in a 2010 Ignite class talking about the topology. And, you know, the uh, presenter uh, basically said, yeah, well, you know, make sure you save your tbxml files, but they're non-readable, non-usable. You'll never be able to do anything quite with it, but just <laughs> back it up. And so... Uh, I, I like a challenge. I really like a challenge. So, you know, me, I started digging through it and said, hey, well, wouldn't it be nice if you could take all of this and I'll put some nice fancy diagram or useful information from it. So um, first kind of revision of it uh, came out a couple of years ago, uh, probably about six, uh, back in the middle of uh, 2011 or so, uh, and worked off the TBXML, did very basic Visio drawings and kind of give you some info there. And uh, the new version uh, that uh, I published uh, right before LinkConf this year um, does a whole lot more than that. Um, Everything from certificates to CPU cores, RAMs, uh, totals on the machines, uh, number of users in a pool, just just about everything you'd want to know about a link deployment. Um, There's instances where, you know, Working for a managed services provider, we come in to do a takeover on an environment, and, you know, we can go in and run this, and 10, 15 minutes later, have a full snapshot of the environment and know what we've got to handle, right? Uh, so that's been my biggest uh, push with it. And uh, latest update, uh, back in April, I added the uh, Excel spreadsheet functions that uh, dump out all the dialing rules, normalizations, PSTN usage, all that could jazz. so... Uh, but, uh, so we've got that, um, it'll make a, a, nice big giant formatted word report with tables for, uh, all of your link policies, client policies, voice policies, all that good jazz, um, server information and in the deployment. And then as well, um, what a lot of people seem to like is the, uh, and I think that just comes from a, uh, dislike of Vizio for most guys is, uh, drawing the uh, automated visio network diagrams so you get a page for each site with all of the proper link stencils and server rules lined out with all the information in it so
3: got that right <laughs> so you can draw and move icons around for me and put lines between them all the better <laughs>
4: Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I dislike having to use Visio so yeah. much because I just get so frustrated with it. But I was like, you know what? If I can just automate this, I'll never have to do it again. Well,
3: and even, yeah, just to plug your script, I mean, it's nice. Even even if you're going to do some other stuff it, just to get this kind of core bulk, all right, here's the basis of my environment. Now I can add some stuff instead of having to reinvent the wheel every single time. It's been immeasurably handy. So I, I, I'm saying thank you. <laughs> I think I said <laughs> thanks at LinkConf, too, but I'm definitely saying thanks again. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Just,
0: I, I can say that, um, you know, recently, um, in the last six months or so, we've we've had a, a few customers come to us and say, we'd like to do a link health report. We want somebody to come in, take a look at our entire environment, tell us what are we doing wrong, how can we, uh, you know, get a better return on our, our investment, Are we how are we set for, uh, you know, upgrading, uh, adding more features or upgrading to a newer version. And the very first thing I do is run your script, and that gives me... Um, you know, 80% of what I right. need to, to, to see. I, an example is I ran it on our internal uh, uh, environment, which is not that big. We're not a huge company. We've only got, you know, several hundred users. And the Word document alone was over 30 pages long. So that gives you an idea of what kind of, inf- you know, how much information you're getting. And the the diagram is perfect. And, and a lot of that is I, I have to do very little uh, you know, clean up or touching of the Word document or the Visio document before it ends up going to a customer is to, you know, hey, here's here's what we see as your environment right now, uh, right. As, as well as, you know, in a few projects where we've done um, end result documentation at the tail end of an implementation, too. That, that saves me, you know, days worth of, of documenting. So um, it, it's perfect. So like John, I'm saying thank you. Thank you very much.
3: I'm well, I, definitely the, glad the, I the, can yeah. help. Yeah, and the and the the, the, the automatically downloading the stencil that you put that in uh my Pad, didn't you have that piece? Yeah, uh, I got I that yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> that's also <laughs> totally I cool. Like, hand oh. Hand oh. Oh. <laughs> where's that stencil? I'm like, ooh, I don't have to go get it. It just does it for me. Yay. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. because it was uh the so the first release I did uh, from the initial twenty stuff, twenty ten stuff a couple of years ago. That was one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, making sure you have the right stencils and the right folders, and so now it uses the 2013 stencils. If you don't have them in the right place, it'll go out and grab them and uh, kind of handle all that for you, so.
1: So there are there any other gotchas with your script uh, today, Chris, that
4: people need to be aware of? So um, the, the the biggest issue I run into is uh, there's a nasty problem with Visio, and then... Sometimes the auto-connect feature, so the la- uh, one of the very last things it'll do is connect draw the connector lines between the pools and the individual servers. Um, and there's a nasty little bug in there sometimes where when you're trying to draw those lines, it just barfs. Uh, and I have been back and forth so many times trying to fix it, so I'm actually um, pushing out uh, an update here, probably go out uh, within the next day or so, uh, and I'm just going to pull that apart out of it. Um, I figure it's it's a line most people can just draw it in there, and it's not worth a heartache it kind of causes with it. So.
0: And you you recently added the Excel option. And right. uh, what 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 is that there to kind of fix or resolve over earlier versions of the script?
4: So uh, Word's not the best uh, format necessarily for displaying large tables. Um, it kind of breaks down when you get into complex environments. With a lot of PSTN usages or normalization rules, things like that. Policies, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it, this will take and basically output just that voice section uh, into an Excel spreadsheet and color codes the tabs so that um, it's it's a lot e- it's a lot e- easier to digest and a lot easier to understand and, and kind of makes more sense um, visually uh, than trying to fit it all in a word table where. I've had a few instances where I've run it in large environments, uh, and you know every column is a single character wide, and it still spills across three pages, uh, just because they have so much in there. So, uh, I've run it against some uh, fairly good-sized deployments. I think the biggest I've hit is probably somewhere about 100 servers, and I uh, chugged along just fine, took quite a bit to query them all, but uh, came back just fine and uh, didn't really run into too many issues with it, so... Uh, and funny enough, the uh, the other thing I find kind of interesting is uh, I've actually uh, two or three times now run into customers where um, we're talking about uh, doing a health check review or something like that, uh, and they come back and say, well, we found this script from some guy online that kind of does this, you know, report, and, you know, have you ever heard this? And I'm like, yeah, I wrote it. It's me, so I understand what you got. <laughs>
0: And there's there's also in the the last blog post that uh, that you have in your script uh, an online option
4: now. Right. So I'm still finalizing the last bit of that. Um, I'm getting that in there. So uh, essentially, um, Office can be picky about language localizations um, and uh, the way that Microsoft did that. Uh, I don't know uh, what their plan was there, but. Um, given that I'm in the U.S., uh, you know, I developed it with uh, English U.S. as the uh, localized language, so it gets a little picky if you're trying to run it in a uh, Swedish or uh, Chinese version of Office. So I've got a virtual machine uh, running on that, that uh, basically has all the bits installed and can automate the processing, and there's uh, no human interaction in it, so all the data is just, collected, processed, uh, and then it'll email it back out to you and then purge everything off of there so it doesn't retain any data. Because I know some, uh, you know, in talking to some people that there's a, you know, they've had a concern of, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool, but, well, I don't know if I'm, you know, okay with my data being out there like that. So, uh, but, you know, it's, it's always out there as an option, and, you know, you can still run it locally if there are concerns over, you know, data sensitivity. And um, now I'm primarily focused on, you know, kind of, uh, updating a couple of uh, other scripts that I've had in the works for a while so um, I've got one for uh, that I've been working with on audio codes gateways um, so we use those quite often and
0: uh, so um, and, and before we talk about that so from an end yep. user perspective um, let me let me explain kind of what happens so you run a powershell script on a server that has the link management tools installed, the core components installed, so it can issue uh, or so that it can go out and look at the topology. Um, And then it zips it all up in a single zip file. And then you grab that zip file and you run a follow-up script on your workstation that has Office installed. Um, and then it goes through uh, whether you're creating the Word document or the Visio document or the Excel document. There's uh, scripts for each, uh, and it spawns it and, and does it all real nice. I can say, going back to your concern about uh, uh, you know people having their data on the online service, I've looked through the, the XML data that, that the script collects, and it doesn't collect any kind of credential information or anything like that. It does obviously grab server names and, and IP addresses and things like that, but from a cred- credential standpoint, um, you're, you're safe there, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So there's no, uh, no data like that uh, as far as logins or anything that's ever grabbed. Uh, and it does, uh, so when you do run it, it will ask you for things like uh, the local edge server credentials if they're not domain-joined. Um, so, uh, even that, none of that's retained in the script, um, and actually you can take the, uh, so it outputs that XML file, I have it zip it up because text compresses really well, and otherwise it comes out to a couple megs sometimes, of just this big blob of XML. Um, but one of the nice things I found there as well, um, is that's actually just an uh, exported PowerShell object, so you can import that back into a PowerShell uh, session on another machine. And then you have this full object there that you can uh, kind of dig down into to find you know further information that may not be surfaced exactly the way you you need uh, in the you know prepackaged word reports or things like that
0: Excellent excellent and I, I can say having having done this at, at several customer sites that there's very little uh, information that is not contained in this report I mean, you got to kind of nitpick in order to find things that aren't there. Um, so it's it's an excellent uh, way to to at least get your documentation started and have a, a good representation of of what you know how things are configured. And I've actually you know dug up stuff that customers didn't know about their own environment, whether you know they still had an OCS legacy site sitting out there or whatever the case may be. Um, and this has really helped kind of solidify um, you know, and uh, give a good overview of, of an environment, um, as well as kind of give you a good snapshot in time that you can come back and reference to, uh, later. So excellent work. So, and you were, you were mentioning some other scripts that you were working on too.
4: Yeah. Um, so the other big one, I've, uh, I've been working on it for a little bit, trying to get, uh, you know, formatting down perfect on it is, uh, we, uh, the company I work with who, Partner with audio Code, sell a lot of their stuff. Um, Do partner with some of the other gateway vendors out there as well, but um, being that I tend to encounter most of those, um, we're not always in a situation where we can log in in a customer's environment and look at it because a lot of times even just getting access to it requires change requests or additional security. So um, kind of having the ability to uh, just tell them, hey, can you shoot me, uh, you know, just shoot me a copy of your configuration file, uh, just a little INI file, uh, and, uh, built a PowerShell script that will take that INI file and parse that out into a usable report so that you get an understanding of what translations and, um, mappings are configured there in the gateway, uh, what trunks are configured, uh, any kind of manipulations, all that good jazz that's, uh, going on there. Cause sometimes it can kind of be a black box uh there in front of the link server and you you know you can kind of look at your link stuff and say okay well everything's right here uh, call should be flowing but you know sometimes it it helps to have that extra view uh, in that into the gateway that may be front ending that connectivity
0: so does it format it, it formats it in a word document correct
4: right so it just takes uh, so by default it's just this huge massive chunk of text uh, in the ini file Uh, and it's not very descriptive in there either. It's really just pointers to different sections and information. And so, uh, I've taken and gone through that and kind of parsed that out. So when it talks about, uh, you know, uh, number routing rules, for instance, and, uh, if it's talking about where it's forwarded to or, you know, where the call is going to be routed to, it's very simple things, you know, just the, the trunk group ID or just the, uh, IP group ID but this will actually sub in um, the actual name and information for those trunk groups uh, so that it's much easier to understand exactly what's going on there.
0: And is the formatting similar to the to the other script? So could you yeah. take the, the output of this script and, and combine it into the other one and have kind of a cohesive document?
4: Yes, yeah, so it, I, I use the same formatting. Um, I tried to, uh, you know, in the beginning I spent a lot more time picking at the formatting, trying to find what I thought was the best way, and then I realized I'm not a graphic designer and have no hope of ever making it pretty. So (laughs) I'm like, you know what, I'm going to fall back on the Word default template settings for their tables, and, you know, if somebody wants to change it, they can change it. It makes it nice and easy.
3: Yeah, I had a question, too. I mean, in terms of, you were talking a little bit ago about scalability. So, I mean, is there, do you know of a finite, um, can you think of like, like a max size environment where it might have, you might run into problems? Um, with the you know say with the visio, um, collecting the objects and you know, rendering it. So I, I think the big the the first place you'd really run
4: into a wall, uh, resources wise, would be trying to parse out a um, really large visio diagram. Um, so from a word and excel perspective, and even from the data collection script perspective, um, it's not very resource intensive. Um, but Visio can definitely be a, a, a resource hog. So if you're trying to parse out, you know, I, I, I think more than about uh, 50 or so uh, uh, servers or machines in a site, and it starts to get pretty sluggish. Uh, and I'd say probably if you end up going anything more than about 75 in a site, it uh, can start to choke just on the memory uh, usage there in Vizio. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, we talked about LinkCon too. Like the environment I'm in is is you know quite large, and and we we had a, some of the locations wouldn't uh, render right or, or wouldn't couldn't get picked up right. But I think a lot of it is because we have some, a lot of about backwards you know back and pad sites with uh, OCS and you know it kind of didn't understand some of the the you know uh, formatting of the XML or something. I don't know, but a uh, couple right. of things had issues. But yeah, it's it's primarily geared toward
4: uh, Link 2010 and and fully compatible and supports Sling 2013 now uh, with the introduction of, like, the Office web app servers and things like that. So um, those are all in there. Um, When you start going back into kind of uh, 2007 R2 or even 2007 R1 deployments, uh, it gets a little bit trickier trying to support them just because uh, the whole setup there is different and there's a much bigger reliance on things like WMI, WMI, which is really what made, uh, so the script's pretty quick on the data collection thing right now on that section, but uh, you know, I, I can tell you 90% of the time it's just sitting around waiting on the WMI calls for the remote servers. So. Right, right, cool.
0: And And I noticed that, that one thing that it's not capable of, of course, uh, is uh, documenting uh, reverse proxy uh, configuration. Um, and I've, I've been trying to work on something with TMG, but it's, it's terrible. So you get the reference points to you know, the, the proxies being there, but you, right. you, don't, you don't get the rules breakdown or, or anything like that.
4: Right. So I parse out what the uh, external web addresses for the front ends are uh, out of the topology. Uh, and then when you get to the Visio do- uh, diagram, it'll create an object to reference that. And as well, it'll do the DNS lookups against those, so you'll get to see what it is. But, you know, if you're doing, you know, those poor translation rules or if you've got an intermediary hop through a DMZ on your reverse proxy or something like that, that won't be gathered because there's just no great way to get that information. But.
0: And so uh, how long before we see an, an equal uh, script for Exchange?
4: Um, so <laughs> it, it, it's in the works. Uh, I'd say it's probably 60%, 70% complete. Um it's been a few years uh, since I've done any heavy exchange work, so you know I, I can test it against my lab here that I've got at home. But uh, you know, two exchange servers really not a hard thing to work against, right? So uh, as I get a little further along with it, I'll you know kind of have to do some additional testing and then, uh, maybe get some more feedback uh, from other people. That uh, probably the same group of guys I got to work with me on the uh, Link when the first time around and uh, See, uh, you know, if there's any requests for additional features, additional information. So, you know, being a link guy, you know, I understand what it is that I'm looking for and what I want to know out of it. But, uh, uh, as far as mail, um, I, I, can use Outlook, but, uh, it's been too many years since I've done
3: a whole lot with Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'll pay the test if you want. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I'll, I'll hit you up. We'll see if we can, uh, get some good features in there for it because I, I've had quite a few requests for it.
0: Excellent. Well, we look, we'll look forward to it, and, and we appreciate what you've done so far. I know it's it's uh, saved me a lot of, uh, you know, head-pounding uh, uh, time trying to document stuff or trying to, you know, put it into a usable format. And, uh, you know, I'm able to take your, your script and, and have, like I said, 80% of my documentation done right away. And uh, it takes very little hand-holding after that, so so good stuff.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Glad I could help
0: and uh, next up, as we move along, uh, Jeff Schertz, who uh, is a Link MVP and works for Polycom, came out with a new uh, article on um, how to update Link Phone Edition devices for Link 2013. And there really isn't much change. Uh, the process is still the same, uh, but if you're, if you're looking for some more detail on, on what happens, uh, we'll put a link up to uh, Jeff's article uh, and I I can always recommend a, a good script to take some of the pain out of that.
3: Um, yeah, I just read Actually, I went to the article this morning, as a matter of fact, and uh, uh, good, definitely get good, some good stuff. And um, it's funny to see the, the uh, UC Updates record, like sort of like that's you know that's been around a long time, and the fact that it's still relevant is kind of funny. <laughs> it's still there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people kind of overlook that when they're setting up their... Yeah, their I think, I mean, I think in my head, I think it was,
3: it was just like a legacy thing, and you did not need it anymore, but... but uh, it's uh, interesting that that's not really the case.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's almost. I think this just serves as a corner case, right? So if you have a specific firmware that's too old for the link in a native 2013 environment uh, to see, then you need to go with this method. So right,
0: unless you have a really antiquated uh, version on your device, and then you've got to look at uh, Tim's article on how to <laughs> how to use OCS to get it up to at least Link uh, standards.
1: Right. Yeah, it's funny that they're still using these hard coded uh, FQDNs back from the R2 days, which
3: is, which is cool. Yeah, that's I what happened, like I am saying. we didn't use those anymore. Do you guys, I mean, just is sort of an aside, do you think or do you know, I mean, what, do we see any updates in terms of, you know, changing maybe the visuals to be more 13 ish, I guess is the best way to say it? Or you, no. No. no be, from,
0: from well, no. <laughs> <laughs> just without, no. <laughs> without getting myself into trouble.
3: Honestly, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even just uh, just in uh, talking with Polycom and, and kind of the way they're, the are is it, I mean, it seems like uh, the their, their newer series with that are more you know gen- say generic, but but they're they're more workable on on other platforms. There seem to be the, more of a focus, but I could be wrong on that. But than the CX series, but I,
0: I um, think if I think what we'll see is probably um, more of the SNAM method where they kind of have their own. Kind of way of doing things, and and less consistent with what we've seen in the past. Less of a standard across, um, you know, a bunch of different devices. Right. But I, I mean, you know, are, the... are we gonna are we gonna see anything from um, from Microsoft that changes that? I don't, I don't think so.
3: Yeah, I mean, and to be fair too, I mean, the the way it is now, you know, there's different firmware updates for different models of devices in you know, families of devices. I mean, how long can they keep doing that? You know.
1: Yeah, almost like the the three-pip approach. You know that these new devices coming out because it it, it I think innovation is much quicker that way. And competition, you know, creates innovation. And with the Link Phone edition, it's kind of the same same firmware for all devices. It's not very exciting. So. That's just yeah, my personal
3: opinion. Right? Well, and it's the same thing. It's like we talk about, you know, like, who really wants a phone anymore, but, uh, you know, I'm looking at deployment, and the customer definitely wants to have some physical phone. So it's like, well, there's always going to be a need, or at least in the short term, there's going to be a need for these type of devices, where, you know, to me, it's like I, I use my CS600, but I'm usually on my headset or on mobile device, so it doesn't get really used that much.
2: Yeah, and also the, the uh, well, let's say the norms of, of the link world also, Sometimes they have nice features such as the transfer button, which isn't there on the uh, phones based on the Microsoft software. And sometimes you right. have customers who are asking for those features, and you have to tell them, "Yeah, then you need to go to Snom." And yeah, I, I don't know what sh- your experience is with Snom, but yeah, sometimes their their sov- software is kind of buggy, strange bugs in it, and also supports yeah well. It goes, but yeah, it could be better. But that's my personal opinion.
0: Well, you know, the the one thing that that concerns me is as we see, you know, other companies like Snom coming into play, is I wouldn't want to see it where device management is bifurcated from the current method, you know, both from um, you know firmware updates and and things like that, you know, if we have to jump into the link control panel to update some phones, but we have to, you know, jump into some uh, third-party uh, solution to upgrade just specific models, um, I think that's going to be an
2: issue. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, because customers want only one tool, where they, which they can use to manage all the devices. And yeah, if you need to install separate tool to manage the The other devices which you can't manage via the control panel. Yes, some companies are are not happy with it. And yeah, there are also also some other things which I don't understand why Microsoft hasn't implemented that because the transfer button, for example, is yeah well pretty common for for most companies coming from uh, from a, a, a traditional PBX and go to link, if you can't tell to the user, yeah, you will have to do it now via this menu, and then search there, and then press OK, and then you can transfer. It's too much work.
0: Well, you know, and who needs a hardware phone anyways, right?
3: Well, I was saying, like, yeah, how much...
2: Real yeah, yeah but, yeah, but some companies, yeah, they, they still want the end user to have a phone on their desk. I completely agree with your guys, but...
3: Hey, Cisco's don't like sticking a tablet and gluing it to a phone, so you know (laughs) there's no telling what people (laughs) buy. I guess. Yeah. And uh, uh, speaking of link
0: and phones, uh, John, you ran into a problem that uh, drove you nuts uh, recently. Tell us about it.
3: Yeah, this is actually uh, a pretty nasty bug that just literally was discovered uh, yesterday. I don't, I don't think, uh, from what I know from our Microsoft context um, um, or you know the, the support call that. It's been discovered yet, so we'll find out more. I think a DCR is going to be issued for it um, as of yesterday or hopefully, you know, by the end of the weekend. Um, So basically, uh, we're into a scenario where a customer had uh you know if you if if you've ever gone through this uh, process where you know you can limit the amount of active endpoints that can, any user could be signed into with the CS registrar configuration max uh look at this command uh, max endpoints per user and only the only default we discussed was 8 um in a default deployment and that's usually pretty much enough for most people but some people you know scale that on the max 64 um, but uh, companies uh, some companies especially ones that come from other uh, uh IAM platforms like Sametime Whose default is that only a, um, uh, there's only a max em- endpoint count of one available. So, you know, like the old days with say, the AIM client where you log in and the one endpoint and all the other ones get logged out. Um, some companies want to have that functionality and, what we discovered was if that was enabled, if max endpoints was set to the one, that uh, uh, when you logged in with a 2013 mobile client, that uh, the UCWA app pool basically crashes. And so, you know, uh, 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 the, the the process was, you know, we're putting up a new pool, putting in edges, trying to get mobility working, and everything looks fine. You know, from TMG, everything looks great. Uh, 2013 desktop clients can log in fine. The MX clients can log in fine, but as soon as you go and log in with a 2013 mobile client, it it won't log in. And uh, and there's no real evidence as to why, other than you see, you know, looking if you look at the uh, the link event log, you'll see this UCMA error. It was a 2003 event ID. Um, It's pretty obvious, Uh, and you see it immediately when you're trying to log in with the with the first endpoint. Um, So we you know we did a ton. ton ton of ripped up, ripped a million things out. Load balance ripped the load balancer out. Ripped out one of the front end though. I mean, we ripped a lot of things out. I built the standard edition server. You know, just trying to narrow it down to the most basic. Um, well, for those who don't know, a DCR is a, a design change request. You know, kind of a you know, here's a bug. We need a piece of you know code fix to 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 repair it. Um, and uh, probably comes in a you know service, but you know the newest service pack or maybe a hot fix if it's critical enough. Um, but uh but yeah so we we did everything under the sun to try to, to replicate it and then just it sort of a it, it just I mean, we kind of were getting nowhere and i just sort of just Decided to guess, and and, and, and somewhere there was a rationalization, and this was probably like at four o'clock in the morning, um, after working for this for like two days, that maybe somehow, you know, that 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 they were related, and, and sure enough, changing it to another, and I changed it to five. Um, uh, we haven't tested with another value other than, you know, not one. Um, and sure enough, it resolves it. Um, so if it's something to be, I mean, is it a corner case? Probably. How many people are setting it to and setting the endpoints to one? Probably not many, but I'm sure there's people that are going to try it, and this is definitely something that uh, um, will 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 be a, <laughs> a a problem for you. And one of the great uh, Microsoft uh, uh, support. Uh, the guy that was on the call did um, have a great uh, idea to, or at least it pointed us in the right direction by, by seeing if the, the 2010 client mobile client would log in, um, which uses only MCX, um, and that worked fine. Which then really kind of it helped us. It was a great idea, and I hadn't even thought of that. Um, so it kind of narrowed it down like, all right, so we know desktop clients log in. We know we know the the the, the 2010 client logs in. So it's it's definitely something with cu which is you know uh, which was new for 2013 CU1. Um, um, so health has really narrowed down kind of what the what the issue was so uh just something to be cognizant of if you do plan on doing that uh, that uh you could take either max endpoints uh, equal one or mobility <laughs> you can't have both right now.
0: I think if I was limited to uh to one endpoint, I'd be in trouble. I just looked while you were talking, and I currently have eight connected.
3: Yeah, and, and, again, I mean, you know, this is uh, – and it was funny because uh, the customer in question, I, I, the only other time I ever, ever seen a customer want to do this, and we went through actually an exercise at a really large customer who, again, came, was coming from the same time, and, you know, they were used to that concept and to them um, the ability to – I mean, I guess it's all about – it's all it's kind of mindset, what you're used to and, and how you think of what – you know, presence really is, right? So some people you know want the concept where you can only be logged into one place because that way you know that all the end, you know, all the conversations are going to that endpoint. Whereas in the link world, you know, we have obviously active endpoint detection and, you know, that's not always infallible. We could we all you know through you know, through experience we all could probably say, you know, sometimes we do miss messages. And, you know, the argument can be made that um one of the deficiencies with Link is that the reliance on uh Outlook at EWS, you know, is supposed to kind of cover those scenarios where if you do miss a, you know, an IM that if Outlook is open, and EWS is available, that you know it should go into conversation history and you get notified that you missed a message. But as we know, in some organizations, there's a disconnect between Link and and Exchange, um, and you know EWS might not be available on the outside or you know Outlook Anywhere is not available, so you could have a Link client open on your desktop at home, but no real connection to. Um, the corporate environment, mail environment, you know, unless you're VPN in or something. And so that, that whole backup to missed notifications is broken, right, and it doesn't, it's not going to help you. So, I mean, I mean, it makes sense in terms of, you know, the mindset. But, yeah, I mean, I think in the link world, I would rather miss a message than only have one endpoint open because you have a million endpoints open in a given day, right, between, you know, desktops, multiple you know, desktops, multiple uh, de- phone devices, and now with mobile, I mean, you know, you could be logged in, yeah, like I said, you have eight connections right now. I have, I don't even know how many, you know, sometimes when I get a call now, it's like almost oh, well, ridiculous because I have my iPad, my iPhone, uh, Windows phone, my Surface, Surface, you know yeah. I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and then a million VMs all logged in the link, and depending on what I'm doing, you know, it lights up, you know, 18 endpoints, you know. Um, and, I,
0: I can recommend a good uh, script that will tell you how many endpoints you have.
3: I heard there's a guy who wrote <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it's, so it's, it's it, a lot of it is a way of thinking, and it's interesting that you know some companies. But like I said, so um, uh, large customers come from the same time. They we really had to do in like a real you know uh, corporate sponsored kind of study on what were the downsides of enabling that in link. Um, and it's not really something that Link was designed to do. Uh, and the fact that you can even set it to one is interesting <laughs> because even if you didn't, we didn't find this issue. Uh, a li- you know, it's not as reliable as enough. I I, I still see times where there's a lag where you know, the, the 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 log off message takes a while to get to the other endpoints and, you know, to notify you that you've, maxed your, you've reached your max uh, number of endpoints. And so if you can't guarantee that they're all going to log off instantly anyway, then kind of what's the point of doing it, you know?
0: Right. Well, and, you know, yeah, one, one endpoint. That would just drive me nuts. Well, it's,
3: <laughs> so, I, it was, and, you know, Microsoft was like, they're doing what? And I'm like, ah, hey, you know, <laughs> what am I going to tell you, you know?
0: Well, glad glad that you got it squared away, and uh, you know we'll uh, look forward to some uh, some online post about that in the future.
3: Yes, let's, yeah. Hopefully, my, my pain is everyone else's uh, gain, right?
0: <laughs> That's right. And and speaking of of, of pain with Link, um, if you are trying to do Link um, uh, SQL mirroring in uh, 2013, especially if you're trying to do it after the after the initial deployment. Um, it can take a little bit of work, and it, it can be somewhat difficult to visualize. And uh, there's a, a new tool out called the Link 2013 Database Mirror Manager tool. Uh, i say that quickly fast. And, uh, John, have you taken a look at that yet?
3: Yeah, I looked at the documentation. I haven't actually run uh, used the tool uh, yet, but I've looked at the article and uh, recommended it to a couple people, actually, because it actually is – um, a really good um, way to kind of get an idea of. I mean, and, and you know, that's sort of the thing. It's like that's that's the that's the one uh, interesting thing about Link um, and its relationship to SQL. I mean, it's a you know, and especially before 2013, it was absolutely critical piece, and it still is. But um, kind of you know, they shifted around some of the the focus on uh, on. Um, you know, how much of a primary repository SQL is, uh, in 13, a little bit more than 2010. So, um, but, and also, you know, again, it's like one of those things, I, we're not, usually, my link guys are not necessarily SQL guys. So, getting a handle on how mirroring works and really understanding and, and you, you know, and also having the conversation with the actual SQL, uh, uh, people in, in environments that have dedicated, you know, SQL, um, administration staff, you know, kind of, being able to speak the same common language, I think this article and the the, the tool go a long way to kind of make everyone level set, you know, what we need and what we we expect as our SLA for SQL, um, and to get kind of an idea of, you know, um, how that all works together.
0: Right, and and, and what you see is essentially your your various pools and uh, which databases are in link and whether... Um, a SQL server is a primary or secondary uh, for that database and gives you a little checkbox where you can kind of make those changes um, on the fly, and you can look at all the different pools in your environment, whether it's a front-end pool or a persistent chat pool or whatever, and uh, and kind of make those changes. So um, I, I've been looking through this, and, and you know, it's uh, not a ton of features, but it doesn't really need to be. Um, it just lets you, you know, see what's going on, how things are configured, um, you know, whether your databases are uh, out of sync, uh, and, you know, and things like that. So uh, a, a great tool, and uh, I, I definitely recommend it to uh, people looking to set up uh, SQL mirroring. And uh, if you're looking at troubleshooting in, uh, in Link, uh, you might have noticed a little issue with Snooper, where it only shows uh, TL errors in the detail pane, and uh, Johan, you had uh, looked at uh, some information about that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was assisting a colleague in a troubleshooting a link issue, and yeah, we looked at the uh, at snooper logs, and it only displayed TL uh, errors. So was looking at the uh, at the entries, and then compared some things, and I tried to open it on my own machine, and it worked. It all everything was visible. So then I start to think, hey, maybe it has to do with some regional settings. Let's try to change something. So we looked at the server, and it was set to Dutch, which is uh, yeah, normally OK. So I put my regional settings to Dutch on my laptop, and I got the same error. I only saw TL errors. So I changed it back to uh, to English, and then I can see everything. So if you do experience this issue, uh, change regional settings on your machine temporarily to another one, such as uh, English, and you should be able to uh, to view the uh, to view the file. Uh, I informed Microsoft about this uh, this uh, workaround, but they didn't provide any feedback, but I do think they will come with a new version of snooper since since it looks like it's a uh, Back in the current version of the uh, of Snooper 2.
0: Hmm, interesting. And, and um, you know, this is one of the issues that, that you know, w- was mentioned earlier by uh, uh, Chris. You know, being in uh, the U.S., we're used to the, the U.S. English language yeah. settings, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the the core default Language that you know, link and exchange are, are developed in, so we don't see a lot of these issues.
2: Yeah, and, uh, that's true. But yeah, you, when you compare it with other uh, products, you yeah, you don't see those uh, kind of bugs many times. So it and since it was it wasn't in the previous version of Snooper, I didn't expect to be it in the newest version of Snooper. But yeah, it was it it was solved by changing regional settings and. Yeah, I, I can troubleshoot uh, <laughs> my link environment, though, so <laughs> <laughs> well. because the, the tool is really great. The, the new version has a few nice options, which are yeah, which I really like.
0: Right, right. Well, good. Glad to see that at least you know what's causing it, and you can work around it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the most important one. Now, now let's wait until uh, they uh, bring out a new version, or maybe they won't fix it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And uh, moving to uh, the voice side uh, with, uh, with Microsoft and Link, uh, you know, first they, they killed off the hybrid voice option with uh, Office 365, and now they're making uh, another change by discontinuing something, and uh, and Tim, you've got the details on that.
1: Right, yeah, and, and uh, a couple big, you know, voice announcements with Office 365, I think. I don't know if Microsoft's taking a big hit in the, in the community or not for this, but They've, you know, discontinued the link to phone option and shared services for Office 365. Uh, I I think the only provider was Jaja uh, for 365, and I've always heard that. Um, you know, I personally didn't run up against it. I usually work with enterprise uh, level customers, and this never was really an option. You now, in this first, uh, the first time I heard of this offering, I always thought it'd be great for small businesses that would like to get rid of their PBX and just go with hosted voice. But, you know, there were tons of limitations with the link to phone option and also heard kind of nightmare stories around provisioning and billing. Uh, you know, the experience was so disconnected from the, the regular Office 365 provisioning experience, and that really put off a lot of people. So I just don't think there was a, a huge uptick, and it wasn't it didn't catch on. Um, as big as Microsoft may have thought. So uh, I think, you know, in my personal opinion, that's why it's kind of going away. There just there wasn't a good market for it. Uh, I do believe that at some point in the future that Dial Tone will return uh, to Office 365, but I think Microsoft's really going to have to come out with uh, a solution that's much more integrated. The provision is, is, is an integrated experience in the 365 uh, tools uh, before people actually pick this
3: up. Yeah, I just had my two cents. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's clearly that's the one. You know. We know that the push to the cloud is sort of, you know, this ongoing juggernaut that no one, any, no one will dare get in the way, and get, will get in front of, right? But um, that's one. That's that's a that's a challenge. Voice is always going to be that challenge, right? And on technical level, for sure. But there's also, uh, I think that's one of the things uh, that might be driving this. It's also uh, legal, tax, government laws. You know, laws of the nations. When you're trying to enable a global company for voice, there's a million. Telecom laws in each one of these regions, you know, that that are totally like, well, we didn't know that, <laughs> we didn't understand it. And why would you ever do that, you know? So, and it's it, it's it's one thing even for the on-prem product to be able to handle all those, like you know, some of the changes we saw in CU1, um, you know, are, are part of that. But to do it as a service is uh, is extremely difficult. I mean, we're even seeing that. I uh, work for a large, you know, global, um, um, you know, hardware manufacturer, but also that does services and and. Um, it's difficult even for them to be able to have data centers in certain locations because you know if you have a voice requirement uh, in one location or you know rules that go- govern voice in one location, the location of that data center kind of you know decides that right. And so there's all kinds of legal and tax ramifications and all that. And you know I think that must be put, I'm, I'm guessing that's part of some of the decisions right. You know to, you know there's a lot of cycles to be spent on, on, uh, on, on managing all that. Right. And, and, and is it worth the money? (laughs) I guess maybe that might be part of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, you got to give it to
1: Microsoft for trying to push functionality into the cloud, you know, with hybrid voice and, and link the phone. Uh, but it it just didn't work out and I think they'll come back with a better plan in the future, but. uh,
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's true. They're going to come back with something, uh, bigger and better. And I think that, with dropping the hybrid voice option and this latest judge of voice service going away, that they're kind of cleaning house and giving themselves a better, you know, starting point to kind of bringing that in.
1: They're learning, you know, just like we are. They're they're learning on what the market wants and what it takes to deploy some of these servers. Mm -hmm. I've always said one of the greatest things about 365, especially for us on-prem folks, is that it's forcing Microsoft to, Run up against a lot of the challenges that we run up against, and now they have to—they're—they're kind of forced to fix them or come up with solutions for them instead of just, you know, brushing them to the side. So, it's always great that Microsoft's trying to push stuff into the cloud that filters down and and fix things. uh, Work, and this one just obviously didn't—the market didn't, you know, want it. So, they'll come out with their next version, right?
0: Well, right. And uh, uh, speaking of things in the cloud and uh, um, you know Skype and some of the recent news there, uh, Cisco is you know all up in arms about about that. And what's going on with them?
1: <laughs> I'll try. I'll try not to get on my uh, soapbox like John did last. I night. will slide it over <laughs> here <laughs> with Giggle. But you know, to me, this is uh, this just shows how important the Skype deal was to the arms race for UC. I mean, it's almost kind of like a sour grapes type thing. Personally, with me uh, and Cisco, um, I, I think they lost out. They, they weren't really serious about it, and I think we're all kind of better. I think the world is kind of better for it, too, because we've seen the history of Cisco and acquisition and, of how, and how they've treated some of their acquisitions in the past that kind of fall off the, uh, fall off the vine within a year. And with Skype being the biggest um, Internet voice provider in the world, I mean, this killing this off would have just been detrimental to how people communicate. And and I think it's just it's just a huge deal. Skype is so important uh, to unified communications, both from a business and consumer level.
0: Well, and I think, you know, now with the the Skype acquisition, when you when you look at the big picture, Microsoft owns 80 percent of the IM business. Um, and I'm wondering if you know that as well as Google dropping XMPP yeah if if yeah. that's playing a part in Cisco being all bent about it now because now you know Cisco is uh, trying to sue to get uh, you know to block the Skype acquisition in in uh, Europe and you know I'm, I'm wondering if if the XMPP change is
3: is part of that. So I, I can't. Just, if you think, if you look at the timing, and, and you know, hey, maybe, maybe uh, Chambers listened to the last episode of the podcast. You never know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he didn't know about the Skype deal or, or the uh, the XMPP deal uh, that they announced at uh, uh, Google Isle, Right? Maybe he listened to the podcast. You know, <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, this a bum deal." <laughs> but I can't imagine the timing is, is is kind of ironically right. So now they, you know, Cisco put all their eggs in XMPP, and 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 Google said, "Yeah, we're not going to do that anymore." So what is you know Google's. Uh, I mean uh, Cisco's uh, uh, options here. I mean they, you know, the standard is now no longer a standard, and they can keep on banging it and make their own version of it. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's sour grapes right now. I think it's it's you know it is what it is. It, uh, yeah, I, I, but I was going to say the timing is uh, is certainly interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's just their last attempt to kind of stall or disrupt, but it's it's not going to go anywhere. You know, personally, and you know, with the recent announcements are. With Link to Skype federation going live uh, here last week worldwide, I mean it, it's you know it's <laughs> it's a huge topic right now.
3: Yeah, and and and, and you know again and we talked about uh, you know Jabber versus Link many times, but I mean in everyone in every scenario where we've sat down in a and even you know in a legitimate Link versus uh, Jabber you know um, discussion for a company, the federation piece uh, and again we mentioned it many times. It, they had, just have no answer for that, and that's you know that is a key key thing. And I see the even XMPP thing was was being in one of the drivers for Link 2013 for for a lot of companies. Um, so you know Cisco's just got no answer to federation like we have in Link now, um, and the Skype thing just really sticks it you know down their throat. And uh, you know where was the outrage? a year ago when they bought you know why now you know and i think the the google thing is certainly going like oh you know now we got this bag bag of, <laughs> of crap this, this google is, just this lit a is fire way, on it and rang the doorbell
0: <laughs> yeah this is way too late to be an effective you know protest to uh you know to do anything i mean you, you're right they they if cisco really had a valid you know complaint and they don't but if they did, they should have voiced it long before now.
3: Yeah, yeah, like I said, I mean, it, the timing speaks for itself to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just, you know, they're kind of terrified. I mean, especially in, in if you add, like, you know, you add in the Xbox One announcement. And, uh, again, you're going to make the arguments on how much people really want to have, you know, Twitter or, or, or Skype on their TV. But there's some cool stuff to that, you know. And
0: I, well, you know, and, and there's... You know, speculation that we may see, you know, some link connectivity in, in uh, Xbox as well. And, you know, just having uh, a connect uh, hookup on a big screen. I've got a 60-inch um, LED 3D TV in my living room. And, you know, being able to use that for Skype or link uh, video calls, I think, would be fabulous. But,
1: um, you know, Cisco, too little, too late, and, and and Google's not learning any better. Yeah, I personally love it. You know, my there's been so much Microsoft. I've been in the UC space for, you know, so so long at OCSR 1 and 4, and, before, and uh, it, everybody discounted Microsoft, and now Microsoft's made all the right moves in the last two to three years, and, and this just shows that, Microsoft is a real player, and and Cisco's worried, and Google's worried. Uh, they're all worried, and it's it it's just a great time right now. Personally, the
3: only, uh, only for people that don't realize uh, that that the Microsoft is actually still relevant is uh, Wall Street, apparently, because it, it's sort of still shocking that, that they're not getting it. You know, it's uh <laughs> well, whatever, you know.
0: Yeah, and I am I'm, I'm I'm disappointed in. The decline of XMPP connectivity. I think you know we we don't see a lot of our users um, connecting to XMPP enabled uh, contacts, but we do see some, and I think that going away is is uh, disappointing, just like the uh, the Yahoo federation going away. Um, but you know it's it's nice. And Tim, you mentioned this. You know that last week uh, Microsoft opened up Link Skype federation, and um, it's. It's amazingly simple to set up. You really don't have to do anything. Um, you can rebrand your public uh, provider to uh, from MSN to Skype. Um, you know, as long as you're on you know Link 2013 and have, have got the latest updates installed, um, you know your users are able to add uh, Skype contacts. There is a little quirk that I've seen um, uh, where if your Skype user I, if your Windows Live ID that you're connecting to um, is not at live.com, uh, then then it can be a little troubling. And
3: Yeah, I'm having trouble with some of my Outlook.com-based uh, um, addresses. I I I moved my, for the longest time I had my internal domain email as my MSN ID, which was great, you know, um, until, like I like I can't federate with myself, okay. so I had to change all that, so I picked an Outlook.com address. To make my main MSN, you know, Live ID, and and then then, then uh, connected that to, to Skype, and um, my Live IDs work really well with link federation, but my Outlook.com one, ones, that, you know, have issues. So I, I don't know, maybe that's I, It could be on my side. I. But it's, it's just how you stuff.
1: format format the address, right, within the the contact
0: right. object. Right, and that's to me, that's not very intuitive for the end user. Right, it's not. And, yeah. and I, I think, think that's, whole, that's where we're going to get some some help desk calls and
3: some questions. Yeah, I think the I think the there's, there's definitely been pushback from what I'm seeing about the the, the the having to associate the Skype ID with an Live ID. For big companies, is that's more like well, you know, t- t- look, when you got a hundred thousand seats and you really want to enable this, they're gonna look at you like kind of you like what? I gotta do what? Like how? You know, I gotta have my users do what now? You know, I mean, I think we need an answer for that and some sort of either global way to do it or you know, so I mean, I think the end game should just be association with the Skype automatically or you get issued a at outlook.com or something based on your site, Skype ID automatically uh, down the road. Maybe they're working on that. You know, I don't know, but I think that's the one. Downside to the way it's set up right now, but once you get yeah. those, those hurdles, it's great. You know.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to get better. Uh, it, it's kind of that first step. I think there'll be a better integration. I, I hope, but I mean, the the bottom line is it works. There's a way to do it today. Um, it's not perfect, but right. it's, it's better than and what it no, was. Yeah, nobody else really has. Yeah, that and there was a great awesome. article.
3: You know, I don't know where it was. It was on Twitter this morning. Uh, I don't have it, uh, but somebody talked about. Uh, the, the, the the you know the 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 world was all the i networks were always their own island for all these years and finally we now are just getting to the one to the to the place where there's actually true un, you know unification through um the major IM networks and people are complaining about it. it's like you know back to the Cisco thing it's like wait, a minute, we finally get to a place where i am is an open standard more or less and you don't like it you know when i'm saying everyone has to become blink customers we're saying that skype's the major you know uh you know and again it's like microsoft didn't didn't make skype the number one uh platform for this the people did right and around the world for all these years made skype this you know giant uh um, i am a presence and voice network right so they just bought it so i mean it's sort of like you know it's sort of like well we bought this it, the people chose to use this we didn't force it down their throats so um, you know uh I guess it's Microsoft open that up, certainly, um, and so that other people can federate easier with Skype, maybe. But, but uh, uh, you know, I mean, I think we're seeing at least the first attempt at unifying all these different platforms, or at least getting them to talk to each other on a common, you know, way of speaking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And... Then Google goes and pulls the plug on XMPP. Right.
3: Well, and, and and that was that was that was the gist of the article was you know with WebRTC the big problem with RTC is that I, I guess in the standard there's no signaling standard so basically signaling is roll your own so how does that going kind to of work? You know there's no way you're going to be able to federate your WebRTC environment or app with somebody else's at least the standard that stands now from my understanding anyway. So that's kind of was the, the impetus for this this discussion was like well you know we have an open standard right now some in some ways and and the only open standard we had Google just put you know put a bullet in it <laughs> so it's you know right.
0: and and for those that need to set up uh link and skype federation microsoft did release the provisioning guide uh for link and skype uh connectivity and it's it's a, a pretty good document it's not that long it's 16 pages i think
3: um
0: and no, we'll, I, yeah make sure we'll, you
3: put, put the link on it yeah I didn't we'll really get the link it. up on the
0: summary page so uh, but it's pretty straightforward i mean it took all of you know 10 seconds to get it up and running.
3: So. Yeah, I've been using Matt Landis' uh, uh, guidance has been pretty good too. I, that's what I kind of use as my go-to of how to get everything set up.
0: Yeah, and if you if you follow Tom Arbuthnot uh, from our group, um, yeah. uh, he's got a blog post out about it too, including uh, the, the two lines that you need to run in uh, uh, the management shell to uh, to convert that over so that users see the, uh, the Skype option when trying to add contacts. And, and a reminder is is that they don't see that uh, change until after they restart their link client or sign out and sign back in so that it picks up the policies or it picks up the, the configuration. So
3: and, that one, uh, so from from when you go to add a new sorry, I, think, I think I missed I I'm gonna be sad, sad enough, I think I missed that missed Tom's article. So so then that adds an option in the um, add a new contact, not in my organization, you'll see the Skype drop down?
0: So right now if you're if you're set up for MSN federation for messenger federation right and, and you I'm click the now. little in the 2013 client like if you click the little plus symbol right um, and say add a contact not in my organization.
3: Right, you see link, MSN, Yahoo, LL, and right, other.
0: Right, so uh, the change is it just takes the MSN one out and replaces it with Skype. Oh. Ah. And, um, but the, the public provider is the same one, so you're not really changing anything. Right, but at
3: least you're seeing it in the option. Right,
0: you're right. You're seeing it, and there's it shows up with a little Skype icon there, too. So, um, and then when you open up contacts um, that from Skype, then it has a little Skype logo there. Did we publish a link to that at any point? Uh, it'll be in the summary page. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, Thank uh, you. it's real quick.
3: You join a podcast and you learn something. How about that? <laughs> you, re- <laughs> yeah, essentially you remove. I totally the, missed it. You, you, uh, so, so one quirk
0: that I noticed, um, uh, in Tom's method shows that you remove the MSN public provider and you add the Skype. Provider and the only, you know, really technically the only thing that's different is the name, you know, MSN to to Skype. It looks at the same uh, proxy FQDN, but with the Skype one, you can assign the little the little icon. And one thing I noticed is that's the one thing that keeps you from being able to use set CS public provider to just change the MSN public provider. Um, Set CS public provider does not allow you to change the icon which doesn't make a lot of sense. So you have to delete the MSN one and add the the link one. Cool. So speaking of of learning other things, um, this past week, um, Brian Ricks, uh, one of the longtime link MVPs, I think he was one of the original uh, OCS, LCS uh, MVPs, and Aaron Steele from uh, Microsoft put on a two-day uh, training session designed primarily around preparing you for the 70-336 uh, certification exam, and that's the the basic uh, Link exam. Uh, so they did this uh, eight hours a day for two days called the the Link Jumpstart, uh, and it was real good. They talk about you know pretty much every facet of Link, from the different roles, how things are changed from uh, previous versions, um, HA and DR. Um, you know, client expectations, um, uh, features, things like that. It was very good, a bunch of demos and things like that. If you didn't get a chance to attend, the slides uh, are available, and the entire video uh, of both days uh, will be made available within the next week, I believe. So we'll have... um, uh, a link to the slides on the summary page. I sat, I had it up on one of my monitors as I was kind of going out through the day, and, and you know, Brian and Aaron um, uh, both know plenty of stuff about uh, how LINK operates, and they gave a, a wealth of information and took some yeah. live uh, questions from uh, some of the viewers, and uh, I, I think it's well worth it. If you saw them do it, uh, for 2010, it's it's essentially the same format, just uh, updated for Link 2030.
3: Yeah, I think we talked about it last in the last episode too. But definitely something to check out. And uh, um, I, th- I I need to take the 337 myself, and, and they're doing a the one for 337. Uh, what coming up in a couple weeks? Yeah,
0: uh, it's not going to be Aaron's not going to be on the 337 one. It'll be Brian Ricks and uh, Rui. Oh, okay. And, and oh. so, of course, you know, Rui knows you know everything about Link. Everything. Just everything. And um <laughs> and the same thing. It's it's you know. Uh, I think nine to five uh, Pacific time, and um, and it's great. They take a lunch break, and um, and and it's good information. So if you're if you're looking at learning some some good link stuff, or you're prepping for the exams, um, um, definitely take a look at those. Awesome. And uh, a hot fix was released. So if you're using the attendee client, and uh, Microsoft has released a fix. Or uh, the attendee client. It fixes uh, some stability issues, and um, we'll get a link out on the summary page if, uh, if you use the attendee client uh, uh, to get updated. A couple of events we wanted to uh, announce. The Microsoft UC User Group in London is having a meeting on uh, the 15th of July, and we have a link for that as well on the summary page. And the MC... Uh, The M-U-C-U-K Link Tour is also having an upcoming meeting, uh, and we'll have that information. And then uh, our own Stahl Hansen wanted us to mention that um, the the Microsoft UC User Group of Norway will have their first event June 19th, and it's going to be entirely uh, on link, so it's a a virtual event. Uh, People from all over the country um, are invited if you're uh, in Norway. Uh, you might think about going. So far, they got uh, uh, forty two members and twenty six attendees signed up in three days. so they're they're gonna have a great event and uh, we'll have some information uh, on that, including uh, what Stahl's gonna be presenting. And that brings us to the end of uh, this week's show. I wanted to thank those uh, that helped me make it through it. Uh, Tim, uh, Johan, and John, and of course our special guest, Chris. Uh, it was great to finally have Chris on. And uh, get some exposure for his script. We wanted to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com. Architects.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the UC Architects, on Facebook at facebookcom UC Architects, and our group on LinkedIn. You can go to any of those places and submit questions that uh, that we can answer on future episodes. Our podcast episodes are available in the iTunes Store, the Zoom Marketplace, and in your favorite RSS client like Outlook. See our website for links to everything. And we'll see you next time with Steve Hosting.